Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. That said, I want to apologize for this particular episode of Fine Tuning getting posted a day late. Normally, these shows are available for downloading on Tuesday, whereas this one, Drew and I deliberately held back for Wednesday. And why was that, Drew? Well, I don't, you know, I, I hope that we can post this on Wednesday because I didn't, I have not seen a finished embargo date, but you are dead set that it is Tuesday. So we are going to go I, with it. I got a note from <laughs> Courtney. They, they okay. said the 29th. All right. Okay. So, and uh, the reason we're talking embargo, folks, is the Moss let Drew and I do something cool. We got to take part in a virtual sort of way in the early press day for Dizzy's Encanto. We got to see 35 minutes, uh, some finished footage, some not. Yeah, mostly mostly finished, I would say, right? Okay, yep. Yeah. Of this Byron Howard, Jared Bush, and Sharice Castro-Smith film. Sharice is listed as co-director of Encanto along with Byron and Jared. Mr. Howard is probably best known as the co-director of Tangled and Zootopia, Whereas Mr. Bush is the co-director of Big Hero 6, but he also co-directed Zootopia with Byron along with Rich Moore. Have we heard, by the way, what, what Rich Moore is doing? He's no longer at Sony, right? He's Yeah, Jim, if you had looked at the mm-hmm. credits of Encanto, he is a producer on that and also crea- uh, is like part of the creative team over there so if you look at vivo you've already seen what what this uh, is true this is true I, I, have i mentioned this is 8 30 at night and you know my second podcast today my brain is fried but on the other hand you were mentioning on twitter a day or so ago how impressed you were with the costumes they did for encanto that yeah I think that it should be submitted for best costume design for the Oscars this year. And what was interesting was, did you see the Rich Moore and uh, I mean, not sorry, not Rich Moore. Jared, now you're in, you're infecting me, Jim. It's only five thirty here. Good <laughs> lord. Um, that uh, that Jared Bush retweeted me and and a couple of the other animators really got behind my tweet because I really think that it's something that should be done. And and you you and I saw some of the unfinished stuff and know how hard it is oh, to do that because we saw yeah. some of the in-development uh, look of these costumes coming together, and it was really impressive, I thought. so. No, 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 absolutely. And, and by the way, again, uh, like I said, we are recording this on Thursday, September 23rd, and within the past hour or so, Universal just released the teaser poster for their Super Mario Brothers movie, which is being animated by Illuminations and will be out in theaters December 21st, 2022. Quite the vocal cast, don't you think? Yes. Not an Italian amongst them. (laughs) Just kidding. There's one Italian. Speaking of which, though, I love they included surprise cameos by Charles Martinet, who has been voicing Luigi and Wario for the game since the the mid-90s. So... I love that they find a place for him. So, yeah. Let's talk about who's voicing characters for this film. So, Chris Pratt is Mario. So, didn't know Mario was that into Christ, but apparently <laughs> he is. Um, Anya Taylor Joy, who we recently we saw at the Emmys this past weekend from mm-hmm. Queen's Gambit, is Peach. Charlie Day is Luigi. Jack Black is Bowser. Keegan-Michael Key is Toad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong, which is great. I don't know. if Has Donkey Kong ever talked in the video games? I don't think so. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Yep. 
Fred Armisen is Cranky Kong. Kevin Michael Richardson is Comic. And Sebastian Maniscalco is Spike. And, and as you said, surprise cameos by Charles Martinet. And I, I imagine that Wario will be in there somewhere. I suspect. Gotta be. Gotta yeah. be. But yeah. seeing Jack Black as Bowser, all right, that already sounds like fun. But I'm betting the post-premier party for this thing is going to be held on the lower lot of Universal Studios Hollywood in that theme park's new Super Nintendo World. That's still supposed to open to the public next summer, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's coming along. I mean, it is it is really shaping up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited. Okay, so anyway, to get back to that one-day delay, folks, uh, th- that happened because we were honoring this embargo that Walt Disney Studios set up. They asked us to not share anything with the public about Disney's in Canada till today, Wednesday, September 29th. And boy, do we have something cool to share. It's an interview that I did with Byron, Jared, and Charisse, uh, where they share their thoughts on Encanto, which doesn't arrive in theaters till November 24th, almost two months from now. But you'll hear that on the second half of today's show, after Drew and I finish this week's news. And News portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. We did the show last week, and we didn't once mention Norm MacDonald. I was too upset at the time, I think. I can understand that. We lost him on September 14th, and there have been all sorts of tributes to Mr. MacDonald. In fact, just last night tail end of the Connors. They were doing their their live show. And there was this weird vamp. They finished the episode and then they turned the cameras on the audience and and held it there for like a minute. And it's like, this is how you want to end the show. And then they suddenly cut to the couch and it was the entire cast for the night standing around the couch, but they were holding up a sign that we miss our friend Norm MacDonald. So was he on the show? Yeah, I get it. Well, but at the same time, he was also, I want to say he was a writer during the very first season of the show. He was. He was. Yeah. yeah. I think he he, he uh, credits Roseanne with discovering him, which really? is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard him. I heard. Obviously, I, I have, have fallen into a YouTube hole um, yeah. in the, in the uh, day <laughs> since his death. So, yeah. He was a comics comic and the pieces of stand up he did were absolutely amazing. But at the same time, this being an animation podcast and all, I want to remind folks that Mr. McDonald was a great voice actor as well. He started down that road with two appearances on Family Guy, where he was playing Death. He was also the voice of Pigeon for all four seasons of the Mike Tyson Mysteries. That show ran on Adult Swim from October of 2014 through February of 2020. And he also did Lucky the Dog on Eddie Murphy's, those Dr. Doolittle movies. But if I had to pick a favorite performance by Norm MacDonald, and, and Nancy actually and I got to attend a taping of the Norm show, his ABC sitcom from the late 90s, it honestly would be his very last film credit, which was when Norm voiced the character of Mogan's The Ferryman in Sergio Pablo's just absolutely wonderful holiday film, Klaus. Whenever I get the opportunity to direct anybody's attention to this Netflix film, I, I do it. Because Klaus is hilarious, heartfelt. It's a beautiful animated film that everybody deserves to see. And last week, Matt Williams, the supervising animator for Mogan's on Klaus, tweeted this out about Norm MacDonald's passing. He said, so saddened to hear about Norm MacDonald, who was the voice of Mogan's and Klaus, and was very much solidified 
the character's careless and sarcastic demeanor. After the film was released, uh, Norm wrote me a small note telling me how much he enjoyed the character in the film. Matt shared the note that Norm sent along uh, December 19, 2019. That's the day Klaus debuted on Netflix. And it's like, it said, Matt, saw Klaus today. Fantastic work. In animation, it is the drawing that elevates comedy into art. And this is what you have done and should be very proud of. And again, that was a really classy thing to do. And, you know, he was a really, really funny guy. And, you know, Norm MacDonald will definitely be be missed. Here's a Norm MacDonald joke for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why do dogs always bark and run at the door whenever somebody rings the doorbell? It's so rarely for them. <laughs> oh, there you go. No, he was wonderful. He he was really <laughs> wonderful. And, but speaking of very funny guys, friend of the show Josh Gad is a very funny guy. And earlier this week, Disney Animation Studios revealed that they've got a brand new series of shorts in production for Disney Plus. These shorts are called Olaf Presents, and the gimmick here is it's basically redoing the bit from Frozen 2, where Olaf recapped the storyline of the first Frozen film. Yeah, I think he kind of is going into the older movies as well. Well, no, that's it exactly. That supposedly he's going to be talking about classic Disney animated titles, but doing... Yep. The Olaf retelling, and you saw that you saw that they were directed by Hiram Osman. I was about to the, the yes, great, uh, the Olaf at home, right? Yes, that, and I'm so glad you saw that. They're getting the band back together, so already this looks like it's going to be great fun. Yeah, yeah. But again, I'm amazed that these things get produced with nobody talking about them because <laughs> supposedly these shirts are going to drop on November 12th, which the company is now trying to hype as Disney Plus Day, which. I don't like that name. I don't think that's going to work. But on the other hand, I I really am looking forward to these shorts. Yeah. Well, I think what's cool, you know, everybody has their own sort of day, right? We've got DC Fandom coming up. We've got Tadum. Mm-hmm. I know you'll you'll be absolutely riveted on Saturday by all the news coming out of Tadum, the <laughs> Netflix thing. But I think what's cool is that you're actually going to see new stuff on the platform on Disney Plus Day. So in addition to them previewing things and talking about things that are coming out a little a little ways down the line, you're actually mm-hmm. going to experience some of this stuff on that day on Disney Plus. So that's why I think it's cool. You pointed out that we're going to get a new Lucas short and yep. also a new Simpsons short. So they've done Star Wars and... They did wow, Marvel. They did right? Marvel. So... Yeah, they say that it's going to touch another Disney property, so I don't know if that's Pixar, I don't know Hmm. what that is. They have not announced it, but the new Lucas short is called Ciao Alberto, and Mm -hmm. as you know, Jim, I am obsessed with Luca, so I cannot wait to see anything else in the Luca world. I'm so excited. Okay. Speaking of Disney+, Plus, we mentioned on the last show that they've started with some new Spark shorts. We had last week, we had 20-something this week we had Nona. So cute. That's yeah. so good. Did you love it? I did. I did. But when the television fell on the floor and wouldn't break, it's like, oh, Nona's not going to be happy. But they had the little post-credit scene. So it's like, it works. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You, on the other hand, were kind of intrigued by, we're not just getting these two shorts. We're getting a feature-length documentary about 
the making of the shorts, right? A spark story? Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's kind of a combination of the history of the spark shorts program, mm-hmm. but specifically about these two shorts and these two filmmakers, Afton Corbin and Luis Gonzalez. And Afton is a total genius. She is so amazing. She worked on uh, the story department of Toy Story 4 and really helped out on Soul in a big way. So I'm so excited to see that. But it is like this crazy surprise release that neither of us knew about until there was a trailer that dropped earlier this week. It's just crazy that kind of thing can happen, which is, is very cool. I'm very excited to watch this documentary starting tomorrow so it'll be it'll have been up for a few days by the time you're listening to this but yeah really cool we'll talk about it next week i'm sure in other disney related news i have been reading forever young the Haley mills memoir she talks about what it was like to work on the parent trap which remember when she played a pair of twins and that effect was largely accomplished through split screen but this david swift film is shot at disney between july and september 1960 and then released to theaters June of the following year, and as Mills recounts in, in Forever Young, the way that Disney Studios pulled the parent trap off was, in addition to the split-screen effect, Disney found a photographic double to play all of my scenes. Her name was Susan Henning, and she was very pretty, slim, and blonde with pale blue eyes. I liked her instantly. She was an actress herself and was fun to have someone hang out with and rehearse with, but must have been galling for her times never being able to show her face on camera, but she was a really good sport and never complained about it. If you watch the film, you can easily tell who's who from the back, because Susan has much longer legs and a longer neck than me, yet she's also got a dainty little nose, unlike mine, so the poor girl had to wear a rubber replica of my nose stuck in her face all day. Now, the reason I shared the lead-up to this story is because, you know, just reading through this book, and then suddenly... Drew in my office in L.A. enters the story. So here we go. When Susan and I were both dressed identically, same wigs, the lot, we used to go out of the studio during a lunch break to Bob's Big Boy Hamburger Joint in Burbank and pretend to be real twins. I always dreamed of being a twin. It was tremendous fun, but I suspect not quite as so much for Susan trying to eat a hamburger while breathing furiously through that awful rubber, rubber nose at the same time. So anyway... Drew, you wanted to talk about this year's Animation is Film Festival? Yeah, have you ever have you ever been to this festival, Jim? I have not, but I have to admit, just from the lineup, if I weren't already in Orlando on the dates, October 22nd to the 24th at the TCL Chinese Six Theaters, I definitely would go to this. I mean, what a lineup. Yeah, it's really crazy. I, I went once before I actually did a Q&A for an anniversary screening of Untouchables, where we also previewed Untouchables 2 and showed the um, raccoon fight, which was very cool. But yeah, I mean, there are even, you, you listed a few movies in the notes. There are more movies. I think The Deer King is there as well. Yep. I mean, you could just mm-hmm. sit there all day and watch these great movies. And what I really like about it is that so many of the movies have never been really in theaters. So if you want to see no. Vivo or mm-hmm. Mitchell's versus the Machines or yep. Luca, you can go see that along with a presentation about the making of Encanto. Mm-hmm. Bell, which is this movie that you and I have been talking about for months, seemingly, uh, that is a combination of Japanese animation as well as background backgrounds from our friends at Cartoon Saloon, mm-hmm. uh, which we love. And... Um, yeah, it looks really great. And Summit of the Gods, which we've talked about. Who, where is Anne Frank, which is getting a lot of great buzz. I mean, 
it is stacked. If you want to just a nonstop main line of animation goodness, this is where you got to go. It's the very best of the past year. Plus. Plus new stuff. Yeah. I'm in the wrong coast at the wrong time, but next year I'll definitely do this. Speaking of uh, great stuff coming up next, can you please explain to me how you first learned about Adventure Beast? It's this new adult animated comedy which will be showing up on Netflix on October 22nd. Well, I first saw it, I must say, when I, you know, I ha- I am very lucky to have a preview row of my Netflix, which which populates with new stuff that hasn't come out yet. And I saw this on there and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. But I didn't know what it was until Joe Rohde, who is our friend from Walt Disney Imagineering, now at Virgin Galactic, mm-hmm. um, shared it on his Twitter, which I thought was really funny and fun. Did you like the the trailer? Well, first of all, given that Joe is the guy who gave us Disney's Animal Kingdom, I get why he might be a fan of the lead character of this thing, Bradley Trevor Grieve who takes his animal activism to the next level. But, oh, my God. It's got great animal factoids along with really kind of offensive but really funny animation. Yeah. It looks like it'll be great fun. I cannot wait to see this. Yeah, I think that October 22nd, actually, they just announced, too, is also the release date for Inside Job, the new Netflix uh, series that's oh. being produced by Alex Hirsch, our friend from Gravity Falls. So, wow. yeah, I may or may not have seen some of this show already, Jim, and I mm-hmm. may or may not recommend it strongly. So I, th- whenever I can talk about it, I will be less obtuse. But there's a lot of great animation coming to Netflix over the, the next few months. So oh, people should get ready. Cannot wait. Now, now, speaking of pretty extreme pieces of animation that feature animals, what did you make of the trailer for Marvel's Hitmonkey, which uh, debuts on Hulu? I think that uh, I could probably uh, do better animation on some cocktail napkins, Jim. Oh! Um, oh! <laughs> okay. I thought it looked like hell. I thought it was so ugly. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of funny. Hitmonkey is like a monkey version of Deadpool. Kind of, I guess. I can make that work. Yeah, okay. yeah. And the folks at Marvel Animation Theaters have to be sort of breaking their hands, patting themselves on the back, at least this week, because, you know, well, look who voices the character Bryce in this thing, the, the dead assassin. That's Jason Sudeikis, right? Who who yeah. just took home the Best Actor Emmy for his work in Ted Lasso. and that's Well-deserved. Well-deserved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, again, Hitmonkey is set in Japan and kind of violent. And if you prefer a a more genteel animated experience, may I suggest a trip to East Essex in the UK, where Kim Raymond, an illustrator who's been drawing Winnie the Pooh for more more than 30 years, has set up, and I kid you not, but it's a bear B&B in the Really For Real Hundred Acre Woods, a.k.a. the Ashdown Forest. Now, mind you, this recreation of Pooh's home will only be available for booking for a very limited time. In fact, I I think by the time this podcast posts, the window is closed. Also, you need to be a current resident of the UK to even be considered for this opportunity. But those who want to score a stay in this bare B&B will get a chance to have a guided tour through the Ashdown Forest, which even includes a trip to the Pooh Sticks Bridge. Now, Nancy, a number of years ago, went over to the UK with her friends Diane and Kathy, and they made a special trip all the way out to the Ashdown Forest. 
And <laughs> when Nancy came home, she was telling me the story, but they made the trip to the Pustik's Bridge. And, and first of all, the area around Pustik's Bridge, it's been thoroughly picked over. You know, there isn't a stick left. So if you want to go to the Pustik's Bridge to play Pustik's, you actually have to bring your own sticks because there's nothing left in the forest. Speaking of sticks, if you want to stick around, you'll get to hear that interview with Byron Howard, Jared Bush, and Cherise Castro, uh, where they talk about tackling some of Encanto's story challenges. Uh, we'll share that interview right after the spring. Before we get to Encanto, Drew, you wanted to talk about Empire Magazine's recent article about the 50 greatest animated films. Yeah, you know I love a good list, Jim. You know, I've been mm -hmm. prone to write them myself uh, from time to time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just thought it was a weird, weird list. I, I don't know. I mean, it's very interesting in sort of animation circles that there is not kind of the Citizen Kane, uh, you know, an agreed upon best animated feature. Mm -hmm. So everybody's list is wildly different. And this one is no exception. And it's uh, it's really crazy. But you were saying you enjoyed it. I did. I did. And one of the reasons I enjoyed it is there is, in fact, so much contemporary animation. I mean, don't get me wrong. You look at this thing and it, it's got the stuff you'd expect. It's got Fantasia. It's got Snow White. It's got Bambi, Pinocchio. There's things in here like Song of the Sea and Wolf Walkers, which I think you and I are both great lovers of the outfit that made those films. This list has three Pete Doctor movies on it, three Brad Bird movies on it. I don't know if I would have necessarily gone with their number one choice, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but I, I, in a weird sort of way, I respect it. Beautifully animated film, amazing design. Was there anything that leaped out at you from the list? Well, I thought it was weird that there were three Miyazaki movies in the top 10. Mm -hmm. I think that might be going a little bit overboard. And Spirited Away, which I think is his masterpiece, is seventh. It's mm -hmm. not even the number one movie in the top yeah. list. You know, I also want to give it up for my boy Rango. I don't know mm -hmm. where the hell that is on yeah. this list. Um also, you know, in terms of contemporary animation, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of the best animated movies of the past few decades that did not make the list either. Let's acknowledge it. Number 10 on the list, this list is a stop motion film. It's Kubo and the Two Strings. Yes, which I would argue is not even the best Leica movie, but, yeah. you know. Interesting point. I'm, I was happy to see Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit on mm -hmm. there, for sure. Yep. Some of them feel more like obligations than actual favorites. I'm not... Persepolis was amazing. I'm not sure I would ever watch it again, and I don't know, <laughs> you know, things like that, or... No, um, no, no, you're not wrong. You were seriously not wrong. Or Anomalisa, which I thought was just sort of unbearable. Um, yeah, those are... Those are on there, which, you know, had a very high regard sort of critically, but I'm, I'm not sure it's going to actually you know, stand the test of time. I was a little disappointed that the triplets of Belleville were, was at 50. Yeah, but it, it's on the list. I mean, it, it's on it, the list, but you, and you know what? I think the illusionist from, from the same filmmaker, I thought that was absolutely amazing. You've seen that, right? The sort of lost yeah, Jacques Tati. It's an, yeah. isn't it an amazing movie? It, it is. It is. I, and it, it's it, not on there. I don't know. You've written articles like this yes. and they are designed to be conversation starters. Yes. You know, that and we're supposed to debate the points going back and forth. And what I, I genuinely enjoyed about this was that 
First time in a while to see this much contemporary animation. And I, I, to be honest, I am kind of dating myself when I'm like, oh, yes, contemporary films like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, Jim, you're very old. <laughs> right, right. But to look at something like Inside Out is in the top 10. And yeah, it is. It's, yeah, it's number yeah, six. six. Yeah. I find it kind of hilarious that The Iron Giant is number nine. And for the longest time, that was supposedly the secret handshake film in Hollywood. Sure. The whole notion of what's your favorite film? Iron Giant. Okay, you're in the club. We'll work together. Yeah. But if you're waiting before Toy Story films, and that's kind of what I thought was kind of interesting, is three of the four Toy Story films made this list. Uh, you know, four obviously didn't. But would you... Would you have gone with Toy Story in the top 10? I mean, it's hugely important, but it, mm. it's sort of like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Do you do you weigh its technological advancement mm -hmm. or its storytelling prowess? I mean, I think two is is the, the one that there we go. doesn't quite mm -hmm. land as well with me. But I also, you know, there were just some weird omissions. I mean, there's none of the kind of weird 70s stuff that, that you and I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like Heavy Metal did not make the list and no Ralph Bakshi anywhere. No, no. And I also no. thought it was weird that, you know, Miyazaki was so lauded on this list and Isayo Takahata was not, even though he is obviously just as important in the Studio Ghibli uh, family. Actually, was, was Grave of the Fireflies on here? It is, it is. It is, okay. It's, it's, so he has one movie, but I would yeah. have put My Neighbors the Yamadas on there, too, and uh, and maybe even uh, Tale of Princess Kaguya. And there are also some sort of seminal anime things like Ghost in the Shell uh, mm. or Vampire Hunter D that just didn't make the list, which I thought was sort of interesting. This is obviously a very Western-focused list, which is. I think you're probably going to find, you're going to find that in most things, right? Like, it's just dominated the, the conversation. No, it's true. It's true. What about Prince of Egypt on there, Jim? First of all, I was thrilled to see the original How to Train Your Dragon on here. Yeah. But at the same time, it kind of made me sad not to see the original Kung Fu Panda. But I, I think also in both of those cases, those are franchises that I think the sequels took away from the original. Yeah. And not only sequels, but like TV shows mm. and, you know, attractions. And mm -hmm. I mean, the... Katzenberg really ran that stuff into the ground in a really he did. interesting he did way. It also just makes me so sad that Chris Sanders has made so few movies, Jim. Mm -hmm. I also was kind of surprised not to see Lilo and Stitch somewhere in here because yeah. just from the watercolors, just from the look and the storytelling. But this is Empire's list, not our list. And it did what it was supposed to do. We are talking about it. And, you know, would love to hear... What the, the listeners think, you know, the, the, go take a look at the list and see if, if you agree with, you know, the top 20 or, or for that matter, the top five. Hashtag justice for Rango. Jim, I'm just going to share that. We'll share <laughs> okay. that on social media. Okay, we will we'll do that. Anyway, you got to wonder 10, 15 years down the line whether Encanto will even be considered for a list like this. What Drew and I saw a week or so ago looks surprisingly strong, especially the musical numbers from Lin-Manuel Miranda. We got to see three of those, didn't we? We saw, yeah, We Don't Talk About Bruno, mm -hmm. the one of the strong girl, and the kind of introduction to the family. Yeah, this is the family madrigal, I think that one was called. But yes. as you listen to the interview that's coming up right now with Byron Howard, Jared Bush, and Sharice Castro-Smith, 
You'll hear about how the Encanto creative team really relied on Lynn a lot, especially when it came to making sure how the audience knew as quickly as possible who exactly all of the members of the Madrigal family were. Right off the bat, I'm intrigued by the fact that, that Encanto seems to be kind of an inversion of everything that Disney typically does with the animated feature. I mean, uh, take, for example, Frozen. You get one daughter who has magical powers and the rest of Elsa's family has to learn to accept or deal with those abilities. And though in Canto, you have this entire family with magical abilities. And and yet your central character is Mirabelle, the, you know, the one child that doesn't have a gift. Based on the 35 minutes we get to see, this film seems to be about Mirabelle's quest to find a role for herself in this very gifted family. What made you decide that was the kind of story you wanted to tell? Oh, it's funny because we very early on talked about how do we how do we tell a story about a family that's different? Mm-hmm. It's a little, uh, perhaps a little bit more honest about families, about how challenging they could be, especially big extended families where you have a lot of uh, dynamics. And I think many of us have felt uh, lacking in ourselves and our sort of self-confidence in our families and comparing ourselves to others and this sense of kind of self-worth in family. So as we were pitching this idea of a family that has magical gifts to reflect the roles in the family. The one character that always was the most empathetic was the one who was left out. And that is Mita Bell. So nobody knows why, but mm-hmm. she hasn't been given a magical gift at like the rest of her family. So you're correct. It is sort of an inversion. So our heroine being ordinary mm-hmm. is, uh, is key to the story. And that was the genesis of this whole journey with this movie. Got it. Sharice, uh, I, I have to say, Abuela Alma just fascinates me as a character. You know, we, have, <laughs> we have these early scenes where she's interacting with Mirabella as a child, where she's sweet and loving, and she's talking to her granddaughter about how she's going to get a gift that's just as special as she is. And then, then later in Encanto, we see Abuela interacting with Mirabella, who's now, I guess, a, a teenager, young woman. And, and there's a lot going on, but there's not a lot being said. You know, that, that yes. you're, you know she's far more reserved. You're getting this clear vibe coming across that, that somehow she's disappointed in her granddaughter because she somehow let down the family and somehow let her community. And this isn't something we've ever seen in a Disney film before. And, you know, that sort of relationship with a grandmother and a granddaughter. How did you guys thread the needle here? How much was too much emotionally? You know, you're talking about that character of Willa Alma, and she was one of, she was one of the trickiest, most complicated characters to figure out. Because we knew that we wanted her to be sort of this amazing, respected matriarch. But she really, you know, as as you learn when you watch the whole movie, she's got some really complicated things that have happened to her in her past that have affected her and and made her into the person that she is. Um, And so working on the character was a real psychological deep dive into uh, sort of this woman with a strong personality who would do anything to protect her family, but who has maybe not always made the best choices for her family. And it was really interesting and exciting for me to work on a character like that and think so deeply about her, you know, just also kind of drawing from my own family and the complexities of having immigrant grandparents. And, and then when uh, the actress who plays Abuela Alma, Maria Cecilia Botero, came on board, she really helped us so much balancing that character out, her sort of her warmth, her sternness, her, her sort of secret past, her kind of 
inability to let go in a certain way. And Maria Cecilia really kind of helped that character become what she is, which is a really incredibly nuanced and interesting woman. And yes, definitely like, unlike any grandma, I think we, I can safely say not like a grandma we've seen in a Disney animated movie before. Very <laughs> true. Okay. Uh, Jared, let's talk about the big, big cast. Okay. Now, yes. now going into this, you did, I think was something was incredibly smart, you know, with the upfront, you know, you have that, that wonderful meet the family Madrigal number and you establish all the family members, plus the house, plus the world, but to a catchy tune at inside of five minutes, you've got everything you need to go forward into the story. Was that a deliberate decision early on to the effect we have all this exposition and let's hope that Lynn can turn this into a song or? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, as you can imagine, it's an enormous challenge. I think mm-hmm. from, from the get go, we wanted to tell a story with a giant extended family that from day one, we said giant extended family. That's what we're, that's what our target is. <laughs> I don't think we knew how hard that would actually be. You know, I think, I think, uh, you know, Byron's talked about like, we're like, it's a family in a house. That'll be easy. Uh, no, it's not super hard. So yeah, I think it took a lot of time to figure out how to get this information across in a way that's digestible and entertaining in a way that you'd retain it. And so for sure, I think uh, this notion, there's a prologue that sets up part of the information, but then how do you meet this family? I think one of the big breakthroughs for us was having Mita Bell tell us about her family in real time. Uh, That actually didn't come until maybe halfway through our screening cycles. She used to sort of tell the history of her family and it was sort of a story of like how things happened. And about halfway through, we realized, well, what if she could tell us in the moments as they're happening, Mirabel, present day Mirabel, literally introducing us, walking around town and showing us these people, what they do present day. That was a huge change for us. And yeah, the other part of this is uh, just work with an amazing songwriter like Lin-Manuel Miranda, and then everything will happen effortlessly. That's the other, <laughs> that's the other big secret that I would recommend to everybody that's thinking about doing this, is that right. he has such an amazing knack of taking all of these incredibly difficult things, putting them together into a package that seems effortless. Although I will say that it's the fastest song in Disney history. <laughs> the amount That's of true. information packed no into it. Is and it's so, good luck. I, I, we, oh. we nearly killed an accordion player on that song because he had to move so quickly. So uh, yeah, it was a lot. Okay. Speaking of songs though, absolutely loved We Don't Talk About Bruno. But, but what did it feel like to be working on Encanto this summer and then have Pixar's Luca come over the hill where Silencio Bruno became this <laughs> thing. All right. It's a rewire with uh, his song. We don't talk about Bruno. I, I mean, are you ready for the supercut at some point where it's, you know, somebody uh, mashes those two together you know, on YouTube? <laughs> it's so funny because, yeah, sometimes these things are just in the air. I think he's independently kind of came into these two movies. And it's like we even went through discussions about like, uh, like uh, Bruno's name was different at a couple of mm-hmm. times during the evolution of this film and then at one point we we asked Lynn like we had like three Colombian names for an uncle and the one he really landed on because of that Bruno no no the sort of the the lyric that he he was like that one that one and so he was very definite about that and uh but yeah it's 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 great I, it's like i the more brunos the better to be honest but yeah I'm very kudos fond to brunos Bruno. around the world <laughs> <laughs> underserved i say brunos are but well, it's like let's, let's celebrate all of brunos 
Thank you so much for sharing the 35 minutes. It looks spectacular. Can't wait. You know, and and more to the point, I can't wait to see what John Leguizamo actually does with Bruno. But maybe we'll get to that. Okay. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. Great to see you. Take care. Good to see you too. Okay. You were talking earlier, Drew, about the again, the spectacular outfits that the characters in Disney's Encanto wear over the course of this film, which really reflect the craft and the beauty of the country uh, this animated feature was set in, which was Colombia. But you know who also has some very sharp outfits? The Cabanzo dinosaurs. Am I pronouncing that right? Cabanzo? Cabazon. 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 Cabazon dinosaurs. Now, you've seen these folks. You know them. They are famous California (laughs) roadside attractions. Would you think people know them best from Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Yes. Yeah, they are in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They're I think weren't they in? Uh, they were in Inside Out as well. Speaking of Inside Out, oh my God, that's right. Yes, Do you remember the, there's I, that flashback I, to them taking a picture and the and the car rolls into the dinosaur. There yeah. we go. Oh my God, you're right. Okay, well, if you know what we're talking about, these are giant concrete dinosaurs. There's Mr. Rex. He is 65 feet tall. Holy cow! On the other hand, we have Dinny the dinosaur. Uh, he is. 45 feet tall, but 150 feet long. He's a foa patasaurus. The reason we're bringing these folks up, or these, these it's this roadside attraction up, is the folks who are operating this in, in Cabazon, Cabazon, California. Off Cabazon, of the, yes. Okay, it's off of the 10, uh, just west of Palm Springs. In fact, did you mention these the last time we were talking about you and Katie going out to Palm Springs? No, or? we didn't stop then. You know, there's a gift shop in the in the long dinosaur, and there is a weird kind of like walk-through animatronic exhibit. Do you know about this? Yes, okay. yes. I made it strictly for the roadside attractions. I don't need to go to the Creationist Museum. Right. <laughs> but when you and Katie drove by, did they have different outfits on? Well, they were au naturel. I think, actually, you know what? The last time we went, they might have still been dressed up for Valentine's Day, maybe. Okay. Well, the reason we bring this up is right now, till November 1st, Mr. Rex and Denny the Dinosaur are painted to look... Well, Mr. Rex is is wearing a Fred Flintstone, or painted on a Fred Flintstone outfit, whereas Denny the Dinosaur has been painted to look like Dino. But you were saying you actually looked at the pictures and didn't like them, right? The paint job is not great. Uh, okay. I feel like they're a little inspired by the um, dinosaur that's popping out of the roof of Ripley's Believe It or Not in Hollywood. Because that dinosaur also gets dressed up for that you know, certain occasions, true. Jim. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, okay. So <laughs> is this another one of those who wore it best situations? Or, or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which dinosaur wore it best? Yeah. Okay. So, well, anyway, if you want to see Mr. X and Denny dressed up as, as characters in Flintstone, those paint jobs are supposed to hang around till November 1st of this year. Whereupon their parody paint jobs, and that's Cabanzo dinosaur speak for please don't sue us for making our giant concrete and steel faux dinosaurs look like your copywritten characters. But evidently, at that point, they'll be swapped out to be something Christmas themed. But again, if you're heading to Palm okay. Springs and want to check these out, they're off of the 10, I guess at exit 106. Yeah, if you need gas, there's also a shell or something. There, <laughs> there we go. But, but you, you found out that this has, these dinosaurs have a connection 
to the theme park industry. They right? do, actually. The, the, for a time, very, very, very early on, they were called Claude Bell's Dinosaurs. And evidently, the, the, the whole history here is that Claude Bell, who is, a, a, again, a sculptor and a portrait artist at Knott's Berry Farm, he owned a restaurant at this exit, the, the Wheel Inn Restaurant. In fact, the moment in Pee-wee's Big Adventure where Pee-wee learns the story of Large Marge is actually shot inside of the Wheel Inn Restaurant. But anyway, this was Claude's idea, that make a giant dinosaur that people can see from the highway as they're going back and forth to Palm Springs, and maybe they will come in and buy a meal at the Wheel Inn or want to climb inside the gift shop of, inside of Dinny. Oh, I'm so sad I never got to experience the wheel in. Obviously, by our love of Bob's, I yeah. there is not a good there is not a greasy dive that I don't <laughs> love, Jim. So yeah. Well, all right. This is gonna make this next transition so hard. Um uh, speaking <laughs> of dinosaurs, what <laughs> earlier this week, Drew and I got the opportunity to interview Kirk Thatcher who worked with the late Jim Henson on Dinosaurs, that ABC sitcom of the, the, the mid-1990s. Kirk's most recent project, Muppets Haunted Mansion, will be debuting on Disney Plus on October 8th. And if you'd like to learn more about Mr. Thatcher's nearly 30-year-long struggle to get some sort of film or TV special that then put the Muppets inside of a haunted house, well, you're really going to listen to next week's fine-tuning, where, where Drew and I chat with Kirk for, what, nearly a half hour, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, about all sorts of very cool Disney-related stuff, including the, what, it was six or eight months he worked on Plecto's Intergalactic Review, right? Yes. I know you and I are both obsessed with Plecto's Intergalactic Review, so we... We love the classics. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's going to do it for this week's folks. And like I said, you want to come back next week for our interview with Kirk Thatcher. But in the meantime, if you are not listening to Light the Fuse, you are missing out on so much entertainment, so much real Hollywood history. What do we have coming up on Light the Fuse? Well, we are, I think we're still in the midst of our making of uh, Rogue Nation saga. So we're, mm -hmm. we're going to finish that up. And then we've got I actually don't know who the next guest is, but we have we are booking guests constantly, and uh, it's really really fun. And I think you are gonna love some of the stuff we've got planned. And um, yeah, enjoy it, enjoy it, because uh, we have some some really cool stuff uh, going into twenty twenty one. We have some great stuff, and then obviously with a, a new Mission Impossible movie uh, coming out in September. We hope, we hope, yes. uh, yeah. And we got some other podcasts here as well. We got uh, Disney Dish with Len Testo. We got uh, Marvel Us Disney, our now weekly podcast about Marvel news. I'll tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review Fine Tuning, but likewise Light the Fuse, that would be greatly helpful. If you could head over to Bandcamp and uh, subscribe, that would be very helpful. Drew, do you, you want to tell folks how they, how they can find you on Twitter and the like? Or? Yes, it's Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt on Twitter and Instagram. And Jim, I forgot to tell you, now I'm a member of the Critics' Choice Association. So Are I you? will have this godlike power voting on movies at the end of the year for the big Critics' Choice Awards. Um Wow. Which is, is okay. kind of fun, yeah. So, Does that mean what it used to mean in the past, like 1,200 screeners come to the house? Or, or does it just mean your I inbox? I hope so. 
you know. I hope so. I want. I need the screeners, Jim. I'm like, I'm so excited about you know getting able to being able to catch up on some of the things that I missed or you know couldn't ma- make it to screenings or whatever. You know, you know what it's like staring down the barrel of an invite to the Fox lot in the middle of the day. <laughs> no, no, I get that. Ooh. I get that. But at the same time. I also know the way it works today. Here's your invite to the virtual screening room. And yes. Go to your phone and get the password and put it, you know, in and, you know, and, and, and mother's maiden name. You know, right. I just, which isn't, let's be honest, nearly as fun as having a coffee table covered with, well, what do you want to watch tonight? You know, yes. the, the, yeah. which, which film that we didn't have to go to a movie theater to see, do you want to see? So Right. It may, it may it'll make my, our apartment much that much more attractive uh, at Christmas time when people are looking for some place well, to hang out. Right there you go. There we go. Okay, that, not that he'd be showing it to friends. I mean, no, never, not at all. Never, no, never, never. never. Okay, never. Okay. <laughs> anyway, okay. So again, where can they find you on, on social media, Drew? Uh, Drew tailored like a tailored shirt on okay. Instagram and Twitter. Cool. All right. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And that's going to do it for this week, folks. But again, come back next week. You're going to want to hear this Kirk Thatcher interview.